My mom and dad separated when I was young. I think I was like nine years old. I don't remember. But uh, I was living with my mom. My dad got saved. He was going through a really hard time. And uh, he bought my brother and I both Bibles. And uh, through the process of time, we, my brother and I started living with him instead of my mom. And uh, we went to a church. It wasn't an independent Baptist church. It wasn't even a Baptist church. And not one time did anybody ever present the gospel to me in that church. Not in the message, not in Sunday school class, anything. But what my dad did is when he got home, he didn't get saved in that church, but he, um, he, he went there because that was a church he grew up in. <clears throat> and, um, but what my dad did, when he got home from work or when he got home, we got home from church, we'd gather around the living room, my brother, him, and I, and uh, he, my dad would did our, did our Bibles. He would read the first set of the Bible. He'd tell me to read the next verse. He'd tell my brother to read the next verse after that. And we'd go around the living room just reading the Bible verse after verse uh, each other. And uh, he'd have uh, Alexander Scorby reading it on um, uh, the, the, I believe it was probably audio cassette. And uh, I did to hear it. And uh, he'd tell my brother and I to go into your bedrooms. I want you to read the Bible. And later I'm going to ask you what you read. And we had to be able to tell him what we read beyond just, you know, Matthew 3, 4, and 5. We had to tell him what actually happened. And through reading the Word of God, God was working on my heart. And uh, it was probably a uh, few years uh, Four years, five years later, because I remember I was 16. I was in my bed uh, in the living room of my mom's house because I was living with her at the time. I felt God tell me that if you don't get saved now, you never will. Uh, so I went into my bedroom and I knelt beside my bed and I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And uh, crying, no, I'm, I'm sorry I didn't do this earlier and so forth. And one of the, the first thing I, s I asked for uh, while still kneeling by my bed was for God to show me where he wanted me to go to church because I knew that was important. And uh, I didn't have any other way to go to church if God didn't provide a way. And it was about three or four days after that, a man knocked on my door and said, if I wanted to come to church, a bus would come by and pick me up. So I want to tell you about that. Uh, I'll give you a, a, a little bit more uh, during the morning message, uh, or at least in the introduction. But, uh, and uh, for the sake of time, I'll uh, tell you two quick stories of uh, Nigeria. Uh, I'll tell you some more about uh, the numbers and so forth. But just during Sunday school hour, um, we would go out soul winning uh, every week. I would go out soul winning about three or four times a week. Um, and we were there for three months, <clears throat> and, which is the most you can get a visa for without support. And I remember we had done uh, soul winning. I believe this was on the Friday night visitation because uh, it wasn't a Saturday. We was on our way back, and uh, we stopped at this uh, mechanic shop. And I uh, was trying to present the gospel to the people at this mechanic shop. I went up to... Uh, actually, as one of the nationals, went up to one of the, uh, what we thought was the manager of this mechanic shop and asked permission, can we present the gospel? And they said yes, and they, they let me do it. And um, I was able to present the gospel. I was talking to them for about 20 minutes because uh, for them, you got to uh, make sure that they understand because um, sometimes it, uh, it may seem like they'll say yes to everything you have to say, but you have to question them and answer them and so forth, be thorough. And for over 20 minutes, I talked to them. And they, um, four out of the five, accepted Christ. And I found out uh, through talking to him afterwards, that wasn't the manager, that was the owner. And uh, I, I, I remember thinking, I've been saved for over 25 years. And not one time in my entire life here in the United States have I ever thought about, oh, let me go over to that business over there, that car dealership, that mechanic shop or somewhere, and just um, ask to be able to present the gospel and have the owner of the store say, oh, yeah, go ahead, and have the owner get saved in about three out of four of his employees. Um, and then I'll tell you another one about uh, another thing is, uh, very briefly, we went out to a, um, 
an orphanage when we were in Abuja. And it is a giant need there. The, 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 it's just so sad. I'll tell you one story, a quick one, uh, for the sake of time. But uh, there was uh, one young, uh, there was a girl there. And she was there because um, one of the things about Nigeria is they don't have, uh, well, in Port Harcourt. Abuja is like a, almost a completely different country. But in Port Harcourt, they don't have speed limit signs. Uh, they don't have police patrolling. Uh, they have, uh, I didn't, I think, uh, where's there any stop signs? Just, no, no, no stop signs. There was one stoplight that we saw in the city of 2.3 million people, and it was on Streetlight Boulevard. They were so happy that they had, and proud of the fact that they had a stoplight that they named the street after it, and the thing didn't even work half the time, <clears throat> or over half the time. And they don't have car insurance. So I was asking, okay, why is it there more accidents? I was asking Brother Master, why is there more accidents? And he said, well, because of uh, street justice. What happened in this uh, young lady's life, you know, her mother passed away giving birth, and Nigeria leads the entire world in the amount of mothers that died giving birth, and the second is not even close. Uh, her mother died giving birth, so it was just her and her dad in the picture. He was driving down the road, and he was in the car accident, and he was the one viewed at fault. So uh, what uh, the crowd, not just one individual, but a crowd gathered around that vehicle, took the man out of the vehicle and killed him right in front of his daughter. And that's why she's in that orphanage. And uh, there's a giant need there, and uh, that's why we're going. Uh, I do have something for you, and I do want to make sure that y'all get out. Uh, you, you said 10 minutes or 15 or before the, like 10.45, 10.50? Okay, all right. Uh, Genesis chapter 6, if you turn with me to Genesis chapter 6. <clears throat> if I had to pick a subject that uh, made the biggest difference in my life, of course, obviously, besides salvation, this is being number one of them. Uh, it made a profound difference in my life, and I, I developed this message with that in mind. Genesis chapter 6, I'll have a word of prayer, and I'll get right into this. Heavenly Father, we love you, and uh, thank you so much for the opportunity to uh, teach your word. Uh, anytime I'm uh, afforded the uh, opportunity to do what you call me to do, it is a great honor. And I pray, Father, that uh, you'd use this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Genesis chapter 6, let me say this about the lesson. Um, uh, we're not going to go through the entire chapter of Genesis chapter 6. I'm going to go line by line for some of these. Um, and uh, I'd say probably 85% of the lesson is going to be foundational. I I'm building upon something. And unless I build upon it, you're not necessarily going to get the full impact of the actual core of the message, which is the last 15%. So uh, Genesis chapter 6, starting in verse number 1, the Bible says, And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. Now, Pastor Larson, I, I find this fairly interesting. See, um, in Genesis chapter 6, God is telling us why he's about ready to destroy the entire human race except for one man and his family. And uh, he could have just said, I destroyed the entire human race except for one man and his family, but he didn't do that. See, the central theme of the entire Bible is that God wants to have a relationship with you. And a part of having a relationship with somebody is uh, knowing the other person. And God already understands us. He wants us to understand him. And a part of, you know, you, so instead of just saying, I decided to destroy the entire human race except for one man and his family, he goes on to say why he did what he did. Because he wants us to understand him. And he chooses to start off with something that I think is very interesting. He said the sons of God, so the people that identified with him, saw the daughters of men that, okay, they're attractive. They're fair to look upon. 
but they're identifying with man, saying that they're attractive and have the wrong priorities in life and saying, okay, well, that is what's most important to me. I'm going to marry them. And I thought about that, and it made sense to me after I thought about it because, you know, as a dad, I thought about what would hurt me most as a dad. And I would think about if I were to spend 20-plus years of my life um, showing my son, okay, this is what the Bible says, how to go to heaven, this is how you lead a soul to Christ, this is how you work, uh, this is what the Bible teaches about all these different subjects. Showing my daughter this is how a man is supposed to treat you and so forth. Only to have them to turn 22, 23, 24 years of age and go out and marry a lost person. And I imagine how grieved I would. And, and that's what God is talking about. He's saying that, you know, my people that I had a relationship with just wanted to go out and marry uh, whoever they wanted to based upon physical appearance and not caring about, well, do they believe in Jehovah God? Uh, it doesn't matter to me. They're attractive, and that's all I'm concerned about. So I understand this, uh, and I'll tell this a little bit more in my uh, testimony. It took me way longer to get married than what I would have liked, but I'm so glad that I waited. Uh, for one, I was not ready earlier on in my life. There was a lot of stuff that I had to get past. I, uh, uh, it took me a while to get my, my act together, so to speak. And uh, I'm sorry that I made her wait so long. But uh, uh, let me just say this. There's nothing closer to heaven on earth, in my belief, than to be married, to, to, to be doing what God wants you to do and be married to someone that's on the same page. Amen. And there's probably nothing closer to hell on earth for a Christian than to be uh, wanting, having a desire to do what's right and having your spouse fight you every step of the way. Right. So if you're here this morning and you're, you, you haven't found God's perfect will for your life, uh, I encourage you, if there's anything that I could say that would encourage you, just wait, keep praying about it, talk to your pastor about it. But uh, just, just wait for God's perfect timing. Don't just go out and find the first thing that comes along. Uh, let's look at verse number three. The Bible says, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be in 120 years. Now, this verse convicts me, uh, to be quite frank with you. Um, if there is one thing that I've observed in my life that I struggle with, probably more than anything else, is retaliation. Uh, I've been hurt in my life. And uh, the one common thing that I've been able to see is that it is very easy for me to retaliate. And the thing is, we have all been hurt because we live in a centrist earth. So all of us have been hurt and all of us have felt that same temptation. And not only that, uh, we have a, uh, a sinful human nature. So we have all hurt God before. Sin hurts God. And I'm thinking about all the times in my life where I've retaliated. And I think about all the times in my life where I've hurt God. And he could have just squashed me right then and there. But he didn't. And here he says, I'm grieved, I'm hurt to the point where I'm about ready to destroy the entire human race except for this one man and his family 120 years from now. And I think about the long-suffering and patience in, uh, of God, and it reminds me that I need to be patient with other people. Let's look here at uh, verse number 4. The Bible says there were giants in the earth in those days. Okay, now, in the Old Testament, there's more than one word uh, for um, giant. Uh, the Hebrew had more than one word for it, but... In the English language, we tend to stick with one, but the same word can have more than one definition. So if you've got a uh, Webster's 1828 dictionary, which uh, I'd recommend over a dictionary uh, uh, created in the last year or so, if you're looking up stuff in the Bible, um, it'll say giant, a man of extraordinary bulk and stature. Okay, but you're not doing the English language any disservice to say that it is a person of extraordinary strength or powers, bodily or intellectually. That is another uh, uh, definition there. And it gives the example of the judge as a giant in his profession. So uh, there's, a young, uh, there's a man years ago by the name of Yao Ming. If you're a sports fan, you might uh, find that name familiar. He came from China and played in Texas, believe it or not. Uh, Yao Ming was a center uh, for an NBA team, and he stood at 7 foot 6 inches tall, well over 300 pounds. 
And uh, if he was standing right here beside me, or even if I was down there, you could just look at him and say, that's a giant of a man. But you're not doing the English language any disservice to say, okay, Bill Gates is a giant in the tech world, or uh, the computer world, or Elon Musk is a giant in whatever in the world he, he does. I have no idea, but I just see his name everywhere. What you're saying is, you're not saying, oh, well, they're giant, huge men, but you're saying they're men of renown. They made a reputation. You can go to China and people know the name Bill Gates. You can go to uh, uh, England and there's somebody that's heard of uh, uh, Elon Musk or Barack Obama or something of that nature. They're men of renown, okay? They made a name for themselves and the Bible echoes this because it says, uh, and after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. I have more for this, but just for the sake of time, I don't want to get bogged down into it. Uh, these people were trying to make a name for themselves. Uh, they were uh, conquering other places. They were saying, okay, well, look, um, as a matter of fact, if you study the Hebrew word, it's the, the Hebrew word in the field for you know, bully or tyrant. And what they do is they would say, okay, well, uh, I'm bigger and stronger than you guys. You're all going to follow me. Those people over there have something we want. Let's go get them. Okay, now, we've got all your stuff. You're either going to join us or we're going to kill you. Okay, now let's go to this other place and just go from place to place. We're trying to make a name for themselves. And violence is going to be a recurring theme throughout Genesis chapter 6. And if you look at verse number 5, the Bible says, And God saw the wickedness of man that was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I'll get more into this in a little bit, but one of the things I believe God has this for is he wants to remind us that he can know what we're thinking. Uh, I believe most of us live with the knowledge that, okay, God can hear the audible thoughts that we have, but sometimes I think we forget, and at least I forget, that God can see the images that we're forming in our brain. Uh, he uses the word uh, that the imagination, so the word that we get the word image from, okay, he sees what we're seeing in our minds, in our hearts. And he didn't just say, okay, don't lust, and it's all in the honor system. I have no idea what you're thinking. Uh, he doesn't give a command like that. He knows everything. Uh, let's look at uh, verse number six. The Bible says, And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for repenteth me that I made uh, them. So, uh, Pastor, what I used to do is, as a younger Christian, I would uh, read Genesis chapter 6, and uh, just you know, the home life I had and my interpretation of things, I would think this is what happened. Uh, God created man, man sinned. Man began to multiply on the face of the earth. God got angry, got upset, and uh, he destroyed the entire human race except for one man and his family. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Twice here it uses the word repent, and it's a Hebrew word, not come, and it's from a primitive root word meaning to breathe strongly and by implication to be sorry. So in that specific instance, that's what repent means. There's other places where it means something slightly different. But um, God chooses to use a word that we can all identify with because he wants us to understand why he did it and how he felt at the time. Because uh, he chooses to use a word that we can identify with. So uh, everybody here at some point in your life, more than likely, you have gone... <sighs> If you're a parent, you definitely have. Um, and uh, it, so God wants you to think back to a time and place in your life where you went, and you, that the way you felt at that moment is how God felt when he saw the wickedness of mankind. Now, he's God. He knew it was going to happen, but it doesn't change the fact that it hurt him when it did happen. Why did I even trade him? Why did I do this? Let's go on. So uh, the next thing I want you to notice is uh, Genesis chapter number uh, Genesis chapter eight. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You know what? We can find grace in the eyes of the Lord the same way. And uh, you know what? It encourages me because 
you know, I used to think that, you know, if Noah found, didn't find grace in the eyes of the Lord, somebody else would. Surely in the entire world, somebody else would. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Going back to that previous verse, the Bible says God looked at the hearts of every single human being on the face of the planet. So it wasn't like there was somebody that he missed. And he says, out of everybody, this one man has found grace in my sight. And that encourages me because there might be something that God wants me to do that only I can do. There was something God wanted Noah to do that only he can do. And uh, it doesn't matter if you're like uh, Moses, you feel like you're not qualified. Or if you're like Gideon, you don't feel like you're worthy. Or even if you're like Jonah, you don't even, don't even want to do it. God has something he wants you to do. And he could have just made, found somebody else besides Jonah. But he had a job. He wanted these people to be reached. And uh, he loved them even though they were wicked. He didn't want them to perish without him. And he wanted to send somebody there. And if it was me, I might have gone, you know what? If, uh, if he doesn't want to go, I'll just find somebody that, that would. Uh, he didn't make Jonah, uh, he didn't find nobody else. He said, this is what I want you to do. God has a job that he wants you to do that only you can do. And number two, um, he didn't force Jonah to go, but he sure made Jonah willing to go. All right. And uh, I think about uh, using him as an example of my own life that like, look, things will go a lot easier in my life if I just do what God wants me to do. Uh, you know what? For the second time, I'm going to skip over a lot of this. Let's go to uh, Genesis chapter uh, 6, verse 11. The Bible says the earth also was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence and God looked upon the earth and behold it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted his way uh, upon the earth and God said unto Noah the end of all flesh has come before me for the earth is filled with violence through them and behold I will destroy them with the earth. So there was wars, rumors of wars, all kinds of violence and so forth and bloodshed and the very earth that God said I created you to protect you're filling it with blood and I'm going to destroy you with the very earth that I created you to protect. And uh, if you study Genesis uh, chapter 1, you'll see that uh, God divided the waters below the earth from above the earth. Uh, there's also verses in the Bible to indicate that uh, he set boundaries for the waters, that they're not going to pass his commandment. And uh, there's also verses that indicate that all things are sustained by his power. So literally what he did is, I'm just going to back away and stop holding these waters at bay and start uh, putting all this stuff and separated them. And uh, it scares me because I don't want there to be a point in my life where God says, okay, Jeremy, you think you got everything all together. You think your life is the way it is because of you and not me. Okay, let me show you what it's like when I'm not holding everything together. Right. Yeah. Uh, I find something very interesting here if you look at Genesis chapter number 9. So Genesis chapter 9, starting at verse number 11. I'm going to read a few of these because I think you're familiar with uh, the story here. Genesis 9, verse 11. And I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood, neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. Uh, I'll just stop right there. So uh, here in Genesis chapter 6, God says, I'm going to destroy the entire human race except for one man and his family. And then just a few chapters later, he says, I'm never going to do this again. And it's so important to me that I'd never do this again. I'm going to create rainbows as a reminder. How many of you understand God does not need a reminder? But he specifically says, that's why I created it. Now what happened? What changed? Okay. Uh, we have, we're created in God's image. We can be, we have emotions because God has emotions. We can get angry because God can get angry. We can be grieved because God can be grieved. Here, if there's something that changed God's heart from feeling how he did, grieved and hurt to the point where he says, I'm never going to do this again, I want to know what it is. Because as I read Genesis chapter 6, the abbreviated version of it, does it sound like the world we live in today? I'm not uh, going to get into too many things political, but there's people trying to make a name for themselves, annexing this country, uh, are doing this. Uh, the, obviously, the weakness of our hearts uh, being uh, very grievous in God's sight. And if something cheered God up back then, the same thing would cheer him up today. Let's look at uh, Genesis chapter 8, verse 20. God tells us what it is. It says, And Noah built an altar unto the Lord, and took of every clean beast... 
and of every clean fowl, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, neither will I again smite any more every living thing as I have done. Uh, for the sake of time, turn with me to uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse number 15. Philippians chapter 4, verse 15, I'll just start reading here. The Bible says, Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. Verse number 18. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which are sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply our need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So God uses the exact same terminology here, and I don't for a moment think that it was a coincidence. What he's saying is what uh, Noah did pleased me to the point where I'm never going to do this again. I'm never going to destroy the earth again with water. And uh, he says, though the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. He says, I know mankind did not learn his lesson, is going to get his act together, but because of what you did, I'm never going to do this again. And, uh, and here in Philippians chapter 4, a church took up an offering so that the gospel could go to another country. And God looked, at, uh, looked down at what that church did, and he went, okay, what that church did pleases me. God, more, the heart of God is he wants the gospel to go around the whole world. So when you obey God by putting uh, the tithe in the offering plate, but you also put a little bit more in there so the gospel can go throughout the whole world. God looks down at this church and says, what this church is doing is pleasing me. And I can look around, and I want to encourage you this morning that you're a giving church, you're, you're giving to missions. I want to encourage you to keep doing it because it pleases God. And in a world that stinks with sin, this is something we can do to please God. And uh, you know what? I would like to think that you know, if there was no reward for doing it, that I would do it. The Bible teaches in Revelation I was created for his pleasure. So I would like to think that if there's no reward for doing it, I would still do it. But the wonderful thing is we get the best of both worlds, don't we? Not only do we get to please God, but we get rewarded for doing it. So it's a wonderful thing. Uh, so number one, it pleased God. Number two, it wasn't commanded. If you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, you know, uh, real quickly, the Bible is very specific. Uh, God is very specific about a lot of things. Uh, he said, uh, Noah, I want you to build an ark. I want it, uh, these are the dimensions I want the ark. These are how many stories I want it. I want it made out of this specific type of wood. I want there to be a window right here. I want a door right here. But nowhere does he say, after you get off, sacrifice unto me. Uh, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting at um, uh, verse number 7. The Bible says, Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the foreigners of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. So, um, you know what? If you want to show God that you love him, you could say, you know what? I go to church commandment. You could say, I read my Bible, commandment. You could say, I pray, commandment. You could say, I go soul winning. But you know what? There's multiple verses that indicate going soul winning is a commandment. But I'm really glad that God gives us a way that we could show him that we love him. Yeah. He says, to prove the sincerity of your love. Second, uh, Romans uh, teaches us, 5.8, uh, but God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That word commendeth is a Greek word, and it means show or prove. He's saying, I proved to you how much I loved you by how much, you gave, uh, by how much I gave. I'm allowing you to show me how much you love me by what you give. Uh, lastly, stay here in this verse right here, but uh, in Genesis 9-1, the Bible says, And God pleased Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Uh, now, it blessed uh, Noah to do this. And if you look at 2 Corinthians 8-10, the Bible says, And herein I give my advice, for this is expedient for you who have begun before not only to do, but to also to be forward a year ago. 
Uh, he said it was a, a expedient. That is a Greek word that means advantageous or profitable. He says this is profitable for you. This is for your benefit. And I've been in churches before and I've interacted with people and they say, well, I'm not worried about rewards in heaven. I'm just worried about getting there. Okay. But Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ lives in heaven. And what did he say? This is my home. And he says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. What he's saying is, trust me, this is my home. I know what it's like up here. I know you're going to want to have rewards when you get up here. He's telling you, uh, trust me, this is what it's like. Um, missionary Jim Elliott once said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Right. And we're real fond as independent Baptists of telling people, look, you need to get saved because if you die without Jesus Christ, you have no other opportunities to trust Christ. Right. It's all over. A similar thing happens to us. You know, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. And also, there's no verse that I'm aware of in the entire Bible that indicates that you have more opportunities to earn eternal rewards after you die. Uh, there's no offering plate going to be passed around in heaven. I don't believe that there's going to be any sowing in heaven. I believe the Bible teaches that. So the only chance that we have is now to earn rewards that will last forever. And in a world that stinks with sin, if this is something I could do to please God, I would certainly like to do it. Pastor. Amen.